the Radical Secular Podcast, a demand for justice, equality, and rational public policy. Subscribe at YouTube, Apple Podcasts and all the major podcast channels. Visit our website at theradicalsecular.com for articles, transcripts, and our complete library of episodes. Support us on Patreon and follow us on social media. Hello and welcome back to the Radical Secular Podcast. My name is Christoph Defoe. I'm Sean Prophet. I'm Drew Scott. Today we'll define the term wage slave for you, and we'll discuss whether corporate power can or should be brought to bear on vaccine-hesitant Americans. And before that, we'll revisit the horror show that was the January 6th insurrection. But before we do any of that, I want to remind you that if you like our show, make sure to subscribe, leave a review, check out our Patreon, and tell your friends to listen. New episodes post Mondays at noon Eastern on YouTube and all the major podcast channels. And we also publish new articles regularly at The Journal on RadicalSecular.com. Okay, let's get into the t-shirts. Drew, let's start with you. I've just got a fun one this week. It's a uh, Jaws and Star Wars mashup. <laughs> just nice. says uh, Jawas in the Jaws <laughs> font with a bunch of the little Jawas swimming up to uh, <laughs> that presumably epic. grab a, uh, an unsuspecting <laughs> swimmer there. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I love <laughs> yeah we all love him we all love him we all love him that's great that's great uh sean what about you man okay well today i am rocking an extinction rebellion t-shirt oh nice yes yes and the reason i wore this today is not because our show has is particularly to do with climate but i mean actually every show has to do with climate because climate has now become something that is going to be a part of all of our lives for the rest of our lives. And mm -hmm. I was looking this morning, just reading the news and stuff, and there are all kinds of ranchers who are having to sell their cattle and even uh, even goat farmers, you know, dairies, like this lady who makes goat yogurt, you know, she was having uh, a lot of problems in her life and finally found something that she could do and was turning a profit and was becoming very popular, making this kind of bespoke um, natural yo goat yogurt. And she has to sell her goats now because there's no water where she is and she can't um, water them or feed them. So it's just, it's, a, it's having a devastating impact on everyone. And it's something, you know, Greenland, uh, some ungodly amount of, of ice melted like yesterday, like mm. the, 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 I don't even know what the figure is. It was like billions of tons of ice melted in one day. Holy shit. Unbelievable. So I'm just trying to keep the climate crisis on every on the forefront of everyone's mind it's not like we really are going to need a lot of reminders because it's <laughs> this is becoming our life at this point so um but it's it's really we got to get this we got to get our shit together yeah for sure it's really remarkable how like you said it's going to be part of our lives in a sense the climate has obviously always been part of our lives but it's been something that's faded into the background right now it is i mean it is like an existential like right it is an exigency right but there's an emergency mm -hmm. now and every day we feel it even if it's just like wild swings in temperature uh here in the northeast or what's going on in the south and the southwest which is just i mean insane insane what's happening there the world is on fire as i keep saying the it's world on fire. is on fucking fire you know yeah and, and the fact is is that it's just like COVID, right we could be right in the middle of an epidemic uh pandemic and 
people are still denying it. And it's the same yep. thing with climate. They are yep. everybody. Are, there are people who are still saying that, oh, it's been debunked. That's not true. It's like, well, how do you explain what's going on right in yeah, front of your right nose? Right in front of your nose. Oh, it's remarkable. <laughs> Needs more study, guys. Yeah, need more study. Exactly. <laughs> Another one from the uh, from the Heritage Foundation or whatever the fuck, right? Yeah. Um, so, uh, all right. So, my Let's get T-shirt Exxon on the case. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm sure we'll get right to the bottom of that. Um, so, I'm, I'm wearing my Vulcan Idic uh, shirt today. You love that. Yes. Nice. Uh, so that is the symbol of um, the Vulcans. Uh, in, it, it stands for the concept of infinite diversity and infinite combinations. And um, I'm wearing that. I'm wearing this shirt for two reasons. First of all, because the Idic is um, is one of the things that we're going to be talking about in a minute is is how we are diversifying the show and mm -hmm. adding uh, adding Drew and adding new perspectives and different ways of talking about these issues. And I think that's important. Um, but also because I happen to have just finished watching Enterprise. So the oh. uh, Star Trek Enterprise. So if anybody uh, who pays attention to this show knows that I have been on basically like a, over the course of the of year, the last year or so, uh, re-watching every single episode of Star Trek, um, some of which I hadn't watched since I was, you know, since the 90s, you know. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so I finally finished yesterday or the day before yesterday, I finally finished Enterprise, my entire like sort of thing, like, you know, revolution around. And at the end of that episode season, um, when they, uh, I'm not going to give away, I guess, whatever. It's a the show is like 20 years old. Um, yeah. they, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to make spoilers. Yeah. For this this wasn't last Enterprise. Sunday, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> It's not the newest HBO series, or exactly, exactly. It's an old but, series. But the, you know, Trip Tucker and and T'Pol lose their kid at the end, and so she's holding the Idic in her hand through mm -hmm. most of those two seas of those two episodes. She's holding this Idic over her baby, and so, so, and then, and so that is why I decided to wear it today. Um, it's sort of a sad end to my enter to my Star Trek, um, you know, trip. But I look, I this means I have to start over. <laughs> yeah, well, I did that, that same trip in uh, in. 2015 2016 did you mm -hmm. in order and that helped keep me sane through all of the the craziness i'll bet for sure and the very last season of enterprise was extremely topical it had that whole story arc with the mm -hmm. um terra prime episode and all of yeah. that and it's just it just couldn't be more spot on like did these guys have a crystal ball or what i know and what's really remarkable too i mean it's it, it's really a shame because the first two seasons of that show are not very good but once you get into the, the fourth season mm -hmm. like is really good. Like that is as good as any Star Trek out there. I put it up against almost any other Star Trek. It is solid stuff. The themes are good and you really, and so it's a real shame that they didn't like once they finally hit their stride, I you know, know then they get canceled. Right. Um, it also <laughs> suffers from this, from like the problem in that era, which was overuse of CGI. Right. So you're basically like watching a cartoon kind of, you know, like the, yeah. the, the you know, the Star Treks, you remember that? I mean, the Star Wars, the, 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 the first, Three, yes, right around that same time, the, the Phantom time. Menace and all that. Yeah. yeah. And it's like you were just watching a cartoon half the time, right? <laughs> like they didn't know how to like use practical effects and CGI together in the same way they're able to do now. So, yeah. Well, I mean, the first uh, the first two seasons of all the Star Trek series are kind of rough. You know, they, it, it took them all a good two seasons to find their footing, really. If you look at some of the episodes in Deep Space Nine, which to me is the best Star Trek that's mm -hmm. ever been done. I think so. The first, two, the first two seasons of that show have some pretty rough episodes take a look at move along home 
Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, that was that's a pretty funny <laughs> one. Yeah, it's a funny one, but it's kind of like what the what the fuck? fuck? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Totally right, totally right. That's why it's such a shame that they didn't have like because like see by season four those shows are usually really kicking. You know what I mean? Yes. And they've, they've they've got like and also you have gotten to know the characters, so you're like personally invested in it at that point. You know, by the end you're like, oh, to Paul, my friend. You know, I'm gonna <laughs> lose. You know, Captain Archer, you just you you paragon of sacrifice and commitment you know what, I mean? what, what was his dog's name the dog oh, was uh, Porthos. Porthos, Porthos. Porthos, that's yeah, right yeah yeah and at first i thought that whole concept was corny but then at, by the end i'm like oh Porthos and his cheese <laughs> well the one uh, thing i liked about enterprise is that it was in high def and yes there has been a reissue of next gen in high def but not deep space nine and that is a damn shame that is a damn shame. Deep Space Nine is such a good series. I mean, like, like you said, I mean, it's either, for me, it's either that or Next Gen is the best. Um, and um, but I think ultimately, if I had to, if you put a gun to my head, I think I would have to go with Deep Space Nine. I think, you know, mm -hmm. just in terms of the story writing and the story arcs that they do, like the Dominion War arc. What? Yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the best of Star Trek to me. It's some of the best Star Trek out there. Yeah, fortunately, they did um, a documentary that was, I think, crowdfunded about Deep Space Nine. Uh, oh, man, I'm blanking on the name of it now, but uh, it's really, really excellent. And they crowdfunded it. And one of the stretch goals they had for the campaign was to actually remaster one of the space battle scenes oh. uh, in the... Uh, in the uh in deep space nine because like you said it never got a true remaster so uh that's worth checking out as well for sure for sure well <clears throat> yeah well we're going to begin our show today by discussing with you some of the well we started our show talking about star trek but now we're going to continue talking <laughs> about our show talking about some of the structural changes that we've undertaken here at the radical secular podcast first of all we've added longtime friend of the show drew scott to our host lineup but you know that already if you tuned in last week for drew's debut appearance as a host What's less obvious, perhaps, is that the addition of Drew signals our intention to add a diversity of perspectives and styles to our programs, because infinite diversity and infinite combinations. As Drew begins hosting his own shows, he'll lead us through Geek Out Fest, in which we'll connect with elements of pop culture and music and connect them with themes that we discuss so frequently on this show. And as a practical matter, Drew's addition will add manpower to our operation, right? So uh, dispersal of hosting responsibilities over more people will allow each of us to spend a greater portion of our time creating meaningful content on the internet, uh, videos. We have a lot of ideas and reaching more people and hopefully interacting more closely with our trusted uh, current listeners. We're always a work in progress here at the Radical Secular, and that's because we're always striving to improve. So do you guys want to comment on any or all of that? Drew, I'll give you the first word um yeah you know I'm, I'm happy to be part of the team and uh you know i think it's become increasingly difficult to separate you know our, our entertainment our pop culture from politics right mm -hmm. like we're hearing a lot from the right about cancel culture and you know people being upset for being canceled for doing or saying despicable things now of course it's <laughs> case by case right um but, you know, I think of the Gina Carano thing, which happened recently, uh, for those who don't know, she was the star of or one of the stars of uh, the Mandalorian series on Disney Plus. And she had a long history of saying and, you know, posting pretty despicable things. She's a transphobe. She's defended the January 6th insurrectionist. She's an anti-masker. She sucks. 
<laughs> she totally sucks and it's a shame because she her, you know she's a good actor and uh, i liked her character so you know i just i have no idea why in the hell um she had to go and do that yeah she uh and she was warned too like it wasn't like one thing that she did um mm -hmm. i think she changed her twitter twitter bio because disney asked the actors to put their uh, pronouns in their twitter bio i think and she put beep bop boop as like uh -huh. a reference to r2d2 or something just to be an asshole you know stuff like that and and her uh co-star her co-worker pedro pascal has i, I believe uh, said that they have a trans member in their of their family so it's like mm. you're just you're just you're poking the bear you know and it's particularly <laughs> stupid because she had a spinoff in the works they were working mm -hmm. on a like a spinoff series for her so you know and that was a little while ago but you know even just this past week um we saw the release on Netflix of the new Masters of the Universe series, which mm. is a He-Man series for those of you, you know, younger than, I don't know, 30. Uh, <laughs> um, but it was a very popular uh, cartoon and children's toy line uh, back in the 80s. And uh, Kevin Smith, uh, who I generally like very much, um, even if I'm not into every single movie that he produces, I'm a big fan of him as like a human being. Um, and, and I wish him the best in whatever whatever he's doing. But he uh, is behind this reboot of Masters of the Universe. Now, they didn't market it as He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. It was always Masters of the Universe. Yes, He-Man is at the forefront of it. But, you know, and I've only seen the first episode. I haven't watched the whole thing. But He-Man takes kind of a back seat through the rest of the season. And one of the female characters, Tila uh it becomes kind of the main focal point so how do you think the toxic neckbeards <laughs> on the internet are taking to that uh not, not very well not very well at all and you know uh, uh kevin smith he's like he's a, he's a sensitive guy um i remember back when stan lee passed away and the captain marvel movie was coming out mm-hmm uh, Kevin Smith, uh, you know, directed this movie Mallrats in the 1990s, and yeah. and yeah, it's awesome, classic. classic. And uh, Stan Lee has a has a little cameo in it, right? Mm -hmm. So I guess secretly the Marvel team filmed one of Stan Lee's little uh, MCU cameos of him reading the script for Mallrats in the just in the background of the Captain Marvel movie, which is set in the 90s. So it's like they're, oh, they're keeping continuity going, you know? That's cool. That's cool. And, Very and cool. Kevin, Kevin Smith had no idea they were doing that. And so when he went into the theater uh, and saw that, he he wept. You know, he was like blown away. It just meant like so much to him. And he was very open and public about it. And he's very public and open about his emotions in general. And of course, there's all sorts of like gifts and memes and bullshit mocking this guy. Ugh. Um because he had the audacity to put a female at the uh, forefront of this Masters of the Universe show, which is clearly supposed to be, you know, a, a story of the broader universe and not just a He-Man he story, right? Like, there's a lot of characters, and it's a really absurd franchise. I mean, there's like a skunk man and like all kinds <laughs> of weird stuff. It's it's it, they call it the kitchen sink property because there's like robots and all kind all kinds of weird crap in it, right? Um, but it's great. And um, yeah, people are people are losing their their shit about it, and it translates um, into all these fandoms. We saw it in in Star Wars with the treatment of Kelly Marie Tran, right. where yep. she was bullied and harassed to the point where she 
you know, left social media because what she was a a woman in a Star Trek or Star Wars movie that that people didn't like or whatever. It's like, that's not okay. Like if you didn't like the movie, fine, you know, (laughs) fine. That's cool. I don't like every single movie that comes out like it's not for you. Cool. But I, I do find it interesting how these things sort of get a renaissance, right? Like it happened with Star Trek with, you know, when the next gen came out, people were like, you know, that's not, you know, my crew. That's not my captain. Who's this British that's guy. A real Star Trek. Yeah. That's yeah. not the real Star Trek, the gatekeeping mm-hmm. kind of, kind of stuff. And uh, it's the same with the Star Wars thing. But na- right now we're seeing kind of a renaissance or resurgence of popularity in the prequels. You know, right. because because the kids who grew up watching the prequels are now adults. And so it's they nostalgia have, for them. It's nostalgia yeah. for them. They have the memories. <laughs> I, I feel like my brother's in that category. My brother Justinian, he's um, just about thirty now, and so he grew up watching those. And so, like, for it's wild to think that that was such a you know formative. That was what he thought th- thinks of Star Wars, right? Initially, right? Not the ones that we all saw and thought of as Star Wars, but um, <laughs> yeah, the ones we all saw are like those are the old. That's the old Star. That's Wars, the right? old stuff. Some movie <laughs> from back in the day. Yeah. Um, but I, I do want to move on. But I, but Drew, it sounds to me that like you know, this is this is exactly the kind of content we're talking about, folks. Right? Like we're going to be able to really connect with the stuff that you watch every day on your streaming channels. You know, the stuff that your kids are watching, the stuff that your friends are watching, whatever. And we're going to be able to connect those things and, and make them sort of relevant. And it's pick out those themes like Drew was just talking about, right? You were talking about these themes of the, the gatekeeper sort of concept and all these things. And I think that all that I think is really relevant and in terms of what we talk about on this show. And of course, Drew, you're just a funny guy and fun to hang out with. And, you know, there's also just that. So. Yes, totally. cool dude. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, uh, uh, just one last thing is that I think yeah, a, yeah, that yeah, I, yeah. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that the right has strayed away from the moral compass mm-hmm. of the basic values of human rights. Right, like the values of Star Wars and Marvel and all of these popular franchises that are dominating our culture right now, and that people are saying are like being feminized or taken over by the woke libtards or whatever. <laughs> they've all they haven't really changed. Right. right. Like, no. Marvel's always been about diversity. Star totally. Wars has always been, you know, the story of a leftist rebellion fighting against a far right authoritarian government. Star yeah. Trek has always been a vision of a leftist progressive utopia. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I could go on like it's not that we changed. It's that they changed. Mm. Yeah, great point. And Sean, yeah, you want to you want to uh, yeah, chime in? I have a couple of things here. As you were talking, Drew, I was just thinking about, and I was reading recently about the how much meme culture elected Donald Trump, and mm. how this whole thing, this whole building, especially of young people, because you know millennials and and Gen X are are uh, progressively more liberal. Right. And as we talked to Jonathan Zucker about this, I mean, it's like plus 16 uh, are voting Democratic. Right. But there is a there is still a lot of young men who are very caught up into this whole anti wokeness thing and their meme culture uh, on on 4chan and 8chan and all of this definitely moved right into the mainstream culture. And so I think it's it's important for us to keep our finger on the pulse, which is why I'm personally really glad that you're doing this because I don't follow that stuff. 
and I don't take any of it seriously. And it's like the first time I saw Peppy the Frog meme, I had no no idea what that was and and how insidious it was. And then, of course, then we all found out after after Trump won the election. But this was circulating, you know, Gamergate. Steve Bannon was actually involved with video games. I mean, this yeah. is something that was engineered. So we really have to we do have to keep our, our eye on it. And, and I just want to say. Also, because it's it's not just it's not just Gina Carano, it's not just any of uh, any particular individual. They can't help themselves. They mm. literally can't help themselves because if she had a you know a, a, a sane bone in her body, she would have <laughs> just you know bit her tongue and played the role. It's like you're an actor. You're not being paid for your political views, and you don't have to get on Twitter and and spread poison. If it's going to kill your career and hurt people like why it is, it's like suicidal. And and the same thing, Adam Carolla is now the latest one to become a a right wing cause celeb for being supposedly blacklisted. This was on Fox. And, um, you know, I always want to say, look, the market has spoken. Right. If somebody doesn't want to hire you, if you believe in the free market, um, you can't argue with that. Right. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's markets, right? That's fucking markets, man. And you know what, Sean, I think that that is that's really really important what you're saying there is, you know, this uh, you know, people like her and on the right. And this really this is a really actually fantastic segue because it is an inability to control impulse, right? It's like it, it's like right, it's it's an entitlement. Mm-hmm. That I get to say whatever I want, right? I am X, Y, and Z, and not because she's a famous actor, but just because she's a white woman. She's a woman, right? She's a white person, and she's like, I get to say whatever I want, whenever I say it, any kind of restraint on that. And I think that's kind of a theme that we're going to be talking about a lot through this because today, because we're going to talk about vaccines, right? We're going to talk about the people who are dying just because they're like, nope, I just don't want to do it, you know. Um, so I think that's actually a really, really great segue, um, uh, Sean, uh, and so. And what I want to talk about next is the January 6th hearings uh, and white rage in, in general. And we'll have a conversation about that. And now we don't need to be reminded of why we do what we do here at the Radical Secular. But we did get a reminder this week anyway in the form of hearings related to the January 6th insurrection. They began at the House of Representatives this week. I'm confident that our audience is well-informed, so I won't rehash everything that happened during those hearings, but I do want to focus on the gripping testimony given by Capitol Police Officer Harry Dunn. I'll read now from the transcript of Dunn's testimony, and please note that unless you are a hardcore MAGA racist, the language is extremely disturbing. Quote, more and more insurrectionists were pouring into the area by the speaker's lobby near the rotunda and some wearing MAGA hats and shirts that said Trump 2020. I told them just to leave the Capitol. And in response, they yelled, no, man, this is our house. Trump invited us here. We're here to stop the steal. Joe Biden is not the president. Nobody voted for Joe Biden. I'm a law enforcement officer, and I do my best to keep politics out of my job. But in this circumstance, I responded, well, I voted for Joe Biden. Does my vote not count? Am I nobody? That prompted a torrent of racial epithets. One woman in a pink MAGA shirt yelled, you hear that, guys? This nigger voted for Joe Biden. Then the crowd, perhaps around 20 people, joined in screaming, boo, fucking nigger. No one had ever, ever called me a nigger while wearing the uniform of a Capitol Police officer. 
In the days following the attempted insurrection, other black officers shared with me their own stories of racial abuse on January 6th. One officer told me that he had never in his entire 40 years of life been called a nigger to his face. And that streak ended on January 6th. Yet another black officer later told me that he had been confronted by insurrectionists in the Capitol building who told him, quote, put down your gun and we'll show you what kind of nigger you really are, end quote. Now, at this juncture, I want to remind everyone out there that the fact that I said the N-word in this context is not licensed for you to go and say the N-word, like ever, but certainly not in this context, unless you're Black. I know that should be obvious, but in my experience, many white people, white dudes, uh, <laughs> red, white dudes drunk at bars, will jump at the chance to say the N-word out loud and saying in the context of a quote is a perennial favorite. Okay, so now with that disclaimer out of the way, guys, what connects Officer Dunn's experience and testimony to the historical incidents like the Tulsa race massacre and other sort of incidents like that? Anybody want to jump on that? Well, I just want to say, first of all, like the idea, I <clears throat> I don't think that there was ever a time in my life when I thought that was a good word to use, but <clears throat> I would rather like, I would rather just, you know, punch myself in the face than, than ever use that word. I don't even like, to, I don't even write it. I never mm -hmm. use it. I don't want any association with it. It is so painful and uncomfortable to me. Uh, not, not just because I know that it's hurtful, but because of everything that's it's connected to that is still going on. It mm. is a reminder. It is like, it's like a, um, it's like having a rock in your shoe or something that you can't get out and you have it hiking for 10 miles. You can't get this thing out and just, and I don't know. I, I wish that that word didn't exist. And um, on the other hand, I think it is good when white people say it because you it tells you who they really are. It is a it, there, there is no better litmus test of racism than that. I mean, the fact that somebody would just casually drop that, mm -hmm. even when you're drunk, being. And people who use being drunk as an excuse for <laughs> bad behavior, bullshit. it is such bullshit because being drunk actually removes your inhibitions. It shows who you really are. It's not, this is who more of who you are, not less when you're drunk. So, <laughs> right, exactly. you know, when, when a drunk guys at the bar are using that, it's, it's because that is who they are and they may check themselves at other points in their life. But, yeah. um, so connecting this to the, to the uh, Tulsa race massacre, of course, there's a double standard. Of course there is. And this nonsense, just the, the way that, um, particularly Michael Fanone, okay. You didn't mention him, but he was, uh, he was great. And he's the one he pounded the table. It was, it, mm -hmm. this guy was literally almost killed. And uh, somehow some people in that crowd, I guess, you know, if he'd been black, he'd probably be dead. And somebody in that crowd had enough humanity to help him out and, and get him out of there because he blacked out. I mean, he, he couldn't even mm. defend himself. But after his testimony, he went on CNN and he's being interviewed about it. And they played a voicemail that he received where a Trump supporter was calling him two other words that I don't really ever like to say. Um, mm. One that starts with a P that's a, a synonym for somebody who's supposedly effeminate and another one that starts with an F which uh, again, is his sexuality. Okay. So anyway, this person felt that it was okay to talk that way to a national hero. 
And this tells you right now, because these are these same people back cops unconditionally <laughs> under other circumstances. They, as long as blue is beating the shit out of black, mm -hmm. they back the blue. But as soon as blue is checking white power, now you're going to call them the P word and the F word. Yep. Just like that. Just like that. So that's, I mean, I, that, the Tulsa race massacre, I mean, again, these things are denied, right? I have had conversations, recent conversations with people about the Tulsa race massacre. It's like, oh no, it was a riot. It was overblown. There weren't that many people killed. They started it. I mean, this rhetoric, basically you just take your position as a racist and then you modify history to fit yes. what you want to believe. There is no respect for facts no respect for, for, for what actually occurred. And the fact that the Tulsa race massacre was one of hundreds of race massacres that occurred in dozens of cities over many, many decades. Yeah, that's absolutely right, Sean. And I think that is, uh, that's, I think it's important to note that the Tulsa race massacre, like you say, is, that is just a very memorable, a particularly memorable version of this thing. And this happened on small scales, all the time, that's the right, uh, all the time. That was life in the South for a black family um, and during certain eras of uh, of history. And what I, what I wanted to mention here and, and from my mind, and then I'll let you jump in on this too, Drew, and that is, you know, what I see here, and I mentioned it earlier, is that there is this entitlement to not have to restrain oneself, right? There's a there's an entitlement. And first of all, I get to do whatever I want. I get to say whatever I want, and um and and consequences be damned. And by like and like you said, right, the double standard, right? The the police work for me, and uh, when they're beating up black people, but they but they are my enemy when when they are restraining me. I think that uh, that what really connects this to the Tulsa issue is is like that white rage, right? And you can see it on their faces, right? Mm -hmm. It is it is blind rage. It is, and a part of this is just what happens when people get together in a group and, and get frothed up. But when you throw into that the 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 white supremacy element of this, which is clearly what this is, um, it is it is it is really astonishing. It is like the worst of humanity, um, and and. And it's so important that that's why these January 6th hearings are so fucking important, Sean and, and Drew, because if we don't do this, if this doesn't get memorialized, right, even if we memorialize this, the right will twist it no matter what. So we have to write it down. We have to write it down. We have to see the testimony. And I'm so glad that they're doing this. And I'm so glad those police officers are there, um, you know, speaking their truth. And, and, you know, they're dealing with PTSD and they're up there and they're, and they're talking to a bunch of people who are literally trying to tell them that what happened to them didn't happen to them. Right. Can you, I just can't imagine. I, I mean, I can't imagine because I know what it's like to be black and have shitty things happen and then have a white person tell me that it wasn't so bad. Right. Um, how do you know it wasn't so bad? Anyway, um, Drew, what we wanted you comment. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I agree with everything that both of you guys are saying, obviously, you know, that man's experience that quote you read is horrifying and you can feel the fear in his words like yes you, yes you can feel it well just just hearing that um but i just wanted to say that i don't even think you need to go back as far as the tulsa race massacre you can just mm. look 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 back as far as or cl you know, close as last year 
at you know all the, the the protests that we saw nationwide after George Floyd and how those people were treated yes. versus how those domestic terrorist you know uh, y'all Qaeda motherfuckers were <laughs> who were to storm the Capitol right and even Joe Biden acknowledged this he was president elect at the time but he acknowledged it uh, and he said that if they were Black Lives Matter protesters quote they are they would have been treated, quote, very differently than the mob of thugs that stormed the Capitol. And then when he was asked about it the next day, he doubled down and said, quote, we all know that is true and it is totally unacceptable. And you know what? He's fucking right. He really is. And I think that's so I'm so glad you brought that up, Drew, because it it's like it's one of those emperor has no clothes sort of situation where it's like everybody fucking knows this. Right. But mm-hmm. but it take but it everybody knows that this is the reality. We all feel it inside of us. We all see it. But to have the president of the United States, the president elect at the time, like you said, say, no, 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 let's be fucking serious. The emperor really has no fucking clothes. Let's, you know, right. Let's, let's just say that. Yeah. You know, and there's one other thing I wanted to jump in and say real quick here. And that is that when, when you listen to Republicans talk, they give away the game every single time. And when they are talking about January 6th, they never talk about the things that occurred there. The first thing they do is talk about, well, what about those black people yes. burning buildings? Always. So it's, it's, it's the, the whataboutism has been institutionalized by Fox. Never answer the question, always pivot, always attack. Yeah. That's a, that's a really great point. Really, really great point. You know, I, one thing I, I, I wanted to mention earlier, but I'm now thinking about it and that is, um, Simone, uh, what's her face from the, from the Olympics. Um, and you know, she, she dropped out of the Olympics because she was, uh, you know, she for mental, you know, she's like, Oh, I'm just, it's just too much for me. Right. Overwhelmed. Like, overwhelmed. I mean, and, and I, you know, I've read some of her statements. It's like, yeah, you're going to be twisted. Like the, the amount of mental and and physical control and focus that it takes to pull off those wildly dangerous sort of uh, activities. It's like, you don't want to be off. You don't want to be off. You break your neck possibly if you're off. Right. Um, but I bring this up because I, getting back to this idea of white rage. Now you have all these guys, right. Coming out and, and it's amazing how far people will go to disparage a black woman. Right. Like, like, right. Like if they can find a Shikari, Shikari um, uh, Richardson as well, have the, have the same thing. It's just like this vitriol that comes out. Right. Like and, and my favorite is stuff when you hear stuff like, um, oh, she should be so grateful that for everything this country gave her. That is like a, that is a that's that is a, 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 a one that is thrown, especially at black athletes a lot who try and protest or whatever. And she's not even protesting. It's, she's not doing no. anything. All she's doing is like, I just don't want to do this. Yeah, it's the whole love it or leave it crap, right? And I just want to say Simone Biles is a fucking goddess, okay? She, she is really a goddess. Is. <laughs> she is a hero. She's got, you know, all these medals already. And um, the cart- there was a great cartoon. And it shows this guy. And he's like slumped down in his chair like this. And he's at his computer. <laughs> and he weighs like, a, you know, 300 pounds. And he's got, he's got food all over him and everything else like that. And he's like going... Simone Biles is a disgrace for not doing her, you know, so it was just, it it was, it's awesome because these people aren't fit to shine her shoes. Exactly. Exactly. She is like, she is, she's like, you know, she is the goat, right? And she has nothing to prove to anybody. And look, I mean, if she couldn't do it this, I mean, can you think about add all the COVID stuff? And I mean, just so many layers of difficulty for these athletes. And look, I mean, if she doesn't feel like she has to do it, but again, black women 
the 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 vitriol that gets spit at black women um especially black athletes right it's it's serena williams right the the, the, yeah, the vitriol i was gonna say i mean like and can you imagine anybody treating michael jordan that way or exactly or or, or i mean michael phelps yeah michael phelps right so it's 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 race racist and sexist the sexism is almost as big of a deal as the racism here when you're a black agreed. woman you, you're, you're getting both barrels agreed agreed it's it, it's for real. It's for real. Um, <clears throat> okay. Well, we're going to talk now about the mass late pandemic return to the office that's been unfolding across the United States in recent months, as well as the prospect of private sector vaccine mandates. To set the stage of this discussion, I want to define a term that gets thrown around a lot, especially by Marxists and socialists, and it's the term wage slavery or wage slave. According to Merriam-Webster, wage slavery is a term used to describe a situation where a person's livelihood depends on wages or salary, especially when the dependence is total and immediate. It seems like a pretty basic definition. In your view, gentlemen, is wage slavery inevitable under a capitalist system? And Sean, I'll give you the first, the first uh, word here. Well, okay, I, I, I'm probably going to botch this joke, but there's an old joke <laughs> about um, about sex work, and it's something that goes something along the lines of um, the punchline is, well, we've already established that you're a sex worker. Now we're just arguing about the price, right? <laughs> so, um, but but this is true of of regular work as well, because mm -hmm. if you have to show up somewhere. Um, you're essentially your life is not under your control at that point. So now you're just arguing about the price, right? And so if the money that you get from showing up allows you to live a decent life, then you're probably not a slave. If you have mobility to change to another job easily, skills, um, good education, good resume, whatever it is, you're probably not a slave. But there are many, many people who are valuable members of our society where neither of those conditions are true. And if you're familiar with Marx at all, you understand that um, you know the, there's constant built-in conflict between labor and capital. And the only reason anyone gets hired is because there's surplus value. And that means that the person who's hiring that person, if they pay you 10 bucks an hour, they're making at least 15 or 20 off of your labor. Otherwise, no point in hiring you, right? It's you don't hire somebody to break even. And, <laughs> right. you know, so, so yes, uh, wage slavery is inevitable under an unregulated capitalist system because you've got a situation where the entire system is built around shareholder value, maximizing shareholder value. That was the whole Milton Friedman thing. And that's what, to my view, got us off on the whole wrong foot with the Reagan revolution and the tax cuts and this idea, greed is good. All mm -hmm. of these things were because we lost sight of the fact that capitalism isn't just for the investor class. It's also the way that almost everyone earns their living. And so if you're not thinking about the workers, if you're only thinking about the investor class, then yeah, it's wage slavery, period. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think that's right. And you know, it, it, it seems like such a dramatic term. And I, it, but like when you really break down what we're doing here, it, it is, when I think wage slavery, I think of a situation in which 
right? If I stop working, I die, right? Like, and, and right now we live in a situation where if I stop working, there are some social safety nets that exist. I mean, they are tattered and they are not very good, but they do exist. Um, I think that in terms of how do you cross out of wage slavery is like when I mean, if, if we're up to me, and I think if we're up to you guys, everybody would just have a basic income, right? So you literally couldn't yeah. possibly fall through the cracks, right? And then anytime anyone who works, and, and we're not talking about a basic income that is, that is uh, you know, that is opulence, but we're talking about, you know, subsistence, be able to like, and live a decent, halfway decent life, right? You have a house, you have, in, you have food, and you have the basics, right? Um, and I think that as soon as we live in a world where certainly in the situation we live in now, where even having one job is a full-time job isn't enough, right? Like mm-hmm. that is, I don't know how that's not slavery. I mean, so, I mean, I think about this, right? Like, and, and I've said this on, on previous shows, like the idea in, in law, like old law books, all law, old law cases, like your employer was referred to as master, mm-hmm. right? Like, like master and servant. So it's like we are really living just a further down that gradation of that same relationship. And there's something about that for me that's really, really troubling, especially when we live in an environment where workers have increasingly less and less power to negotiate, power to do anything. Um, And it, it is, again, I don't know how we get away from that term. And I think it points out the fundamental flaw in capitalism. And I, look, and I think capitalism's great for, for what it's good for, but uh, but to the extent that it forces people to 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 not see their family, right? To be to work two jobs and not be able to put food on the table when doing all that work, I think I don't know how well, what else you call it. Drew, do you have any thoughts on this? Yeah, you know, I think a lot of what um, what we're talking about here uh, was captured in the uh, Andrew Yang campaign, as well as Elizabeth Warren. I think both mm-hmm. of them talked about this a lot, you know, capitalism with guardrails as well yes. as universal basic income, right? Mm-hmm. Like, this is why I voted for Elizabeth Warren in the primary, because I thought that she she nailed this, this issue really, really well. But, uh, you know, it's going to be even even crazier as, as we move it towards automation. You know, yes. that's 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 a thing that I think Andrew Yang was very on point about. You know, if, if you think it's bad now with Amazon gobbling up <laughs> businesses, wait till there's like driverless trucks. Mm-hmm. You know, truck truck driving is a huge percentage of unskilled labor in this country. And when that becomes obsolete, we're going to have a problem. You know, yeah, that's um, for fucking sure, man. And on the flip, on the flip side of that coin, it's like we hear a lot on on right wing media and you know the, the, uh, Fox News and all that about the labor shortage and how no one wants to work because we give all these welfare programs during COVID and now nobody wants to work like this this bullshit narrative. <laughs> and really, it pisses me off so much. It pisses me off so much. And and it's not that there's you know a, a, a labor shortage; there's a wage shortage. Yes, right? like that's the problem. I do want to mention something about that, though, and that is going all the way back to the Black Death. Uh, pandemics have increased the negotiating power of labor every single time. Oh, that's interesting. Wages have gone up after every pandemic, and ours is no exception. We are missing about a million people from America right now. Not a lot. Not a, not all of those people were workers, of course. There's a lot of uh, people, elderly people, who died. There were. Um, you know, a lot of people who weren't in the workforce who died, but just say it's a third, right? All of a sudden, now there are fewer people competing for every job than there would have been 
before. And there's more money flowing in the system than there was because of government assistance, right? So you've got um, a perfect storm for employers. But it turns out, actually, there were some states that had you know, they had they had rescinded the uh, extended unemployment from the federal government, and some of them got sued and were forced to keep paying it. But the ones that actually were successful in cutting it off are not seeing a decrease in their <laughs> labor shortage, of Go course. figure. <laughs> you know, so what it comes down to is this is mostly about restaurants. And mm-hmm. I think that there's been a sea change in the perception of people's willingness to work for poverty wages and mm-hmm. being willing to go into a restaurant. And it's hard work. Running a restaurant is hard work. You're on your feet all day. You are dealing with rude people. And I think that the rude people uh, problem that has occurred in the air is also occurring in restaurants because, and this just goes back right into what you're saying, Christoph, about white rage. I mean, this is the entitled Karens on steroids, okay? Mm -hmm. And people are just saying, hey, you know, they took the pandemic. Maybe they learned to code. Maybe they learned something else because they took that time off where they were on government assistance and they learned new skills or they just decided, I ain't fucking doing this anymore. And I think that's a lot of it. (laughs) I think that's right. And, you know, there's two things that came up as you were talking and that I've been thinking about also, and that is, you know, that the cutting of the wages, right? It's like, so this, here's one of the uphill battles we face as progressives is that like, like the intuitive answer is oftentimes the wrong answer, but it's also the, but it, but it could really be used for conservative ends. So for example, right? Like you're driving down the street and you see a, like a bunch of I help wanted signs and mm-hmm. it's natural to think, oh, the government is giving people money. That's why people don't want to work. And that is like a natural flow to go toward. Right. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that. A lot of it is like the sort of Protestant work ethic element yep. here, right? This idea that like this, right. It, it, it's less about it is about getting people back to work, but it's about being angry that people are not working, right? Like, yep. and, and that, and that is the same thing with <clears throat> how they deal with people. Why they hate uh, on the right? They hate they hate welfare and they hate these yeah. programs. Because this idea that there's someone somewhere getting away with something. I saw a meme that said like, right, that they the the, the Republican would rather let um, uh, you know ten people starve than allow one person to get something for free. Right. And it's like and that is this is mentality. And again, it's I think it ends up being um, uh, deontologically sort of based. It is it's certainly not based on outcomes. Um, and the other thing that I was thinking about, too, and I wrote an essay about this a while back. Um, and this is what I why this issue. I sorry, I wanted to talk about this issue, I think, in the first place all around. And that is because. Now, during the pandemic, my wife and I spent a lot of time together, right? She she was working from home. I work from home all the time, but she was working from home. And so, you know, our relationship, and I think we have a, we, I, I love our marriage. I love my wife. I think we have a good relationship. I think, though, that during the pandemic, in some ways, we became more symbiotic, right? Because mm-hmm. we lived we lived and breathed each other. There was no one else to see. We didn't go anywhere. And and. And it worked out really well, but it turned out as, as she started going back to work, I suddenly started realizing like she leaves the house and she doesn't get back. I mean, she leaves the house whatever time and she gets back, she cooks dinner. She maybe has an hour to herself at most. And then she's back in bed and we barely talk to each other. We do when we see each other and we, and we talk and we're doing the dishes together. But I mean, it's so much different than the experience of being with her all the time. And look, I don't think that I, I understand why people people need to be back to the office and I get that. <clears throat> but 
you know, capitalism and the way that we run things, it it's it throttles relationships, right? Like it yeah. it 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 has to because it demands so much. And we live in a world where you do where more and more and more of your time is demanded. 10 hour day is like a baseline, right? Um for yeah. like for my wife, right? So what I'm saying is that like not only does do people then our relationships are strained, they are attenuated. I mean, it's different. It's fine. We love each other and we're going to be fine. But it's like, holy shit, like we only have so many years together on this planet. And and I'm being robbed of those. I'm being for yeah. no good reason. She could yeah. do her job from here. Right. She could do her job from here. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and I'll say one last thing before I shut up, and that is. <clears throat> One of the things that I talked about in this essay, um, it's on RadicalSecular.com if anybody wants to check it out um, at the journal, but is this idea that the like folks that are running the world right now, people who are in their 60s, 70s, 80s even, right, um, are, are, are people who grew up in an environment that was in person, that was, that was right where there was, there was perhaps not even email or whatever. And so that in-person office culture is like sort of part of who they are. And it really pisses me off that they're like, all right, I want that back, right? That's meaningful to me. And so everybody else has to come back and do it because I need my little environment. That really pisses me off too. Yeah. Well, one thing I want to say, and I don't want to do it now, but we need to do a deep <laughs> dive into bullshit jobs because yes, yes, that book by David Graeber is probably the best critique of, of, you know, capitalism and and its relationship to labor and it goes into all of this stuff about the puritan work ethic and mm -hmm. it goes into all the petty jealousies and all of yes. the rivalries and all that crap and i think that it it deserves us taking you know a couple hours to go through the details on all of that and we can also at the same time talk about you know how we would design a basic income program that would still maintain incentives but sure. um, you wanted to say something drew yeah go for it man um, no, I mean, I was just going to say that I completely agree with, uh, with Christoph, you know, I think, you know, I'm a bit of an introvert. So working from home has been the one part of this whole thing that I've actually liked. You know, mm. I used to get up at the crack of dawn and get to the office at an ungodly hour just to be able to beat traffic coming and going, mm -hmm. you know, cause I had a key to the building and they gave me the alarm code cause they trust me. And, you know, I, I just got there early and left early and, it, it was, you know, tedious getting up that early and, you know, I just come home and nap and then I could have some kind of normal afternoon, I guess. But like, yeah, I, I'm, I, I get that, that there are certain tasks that require people to physically be in their office. Like I get that. Um, but I feel like the way things are technologically moving, the, those kind of interpersonal connections aren't as necessary as they were maybe 20 years ago. No, and there's actually been some extensive scholarship on this that the longer your commute time, the more likely you are to get divorced. Wow. Wow. So, that is telling as fuck, you know? Because yeah, I mean, just tag on I you know, I I tag on at least an hour on each end of my day. That's just commuting. That would be just yeah. commuting, right? And 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 it'd be one thing if the commute were something that were like pleasant, but it's not, right? It's hot because you know I, I live in the city, right? So public transportation, right? It's hot. It's cramped. 
And because right, the, the public transportation system is underinvested in, right? Mm-hmm. Like the entire country, right? So, and New York is no exception. I mean, New York is comically, comically bad given the number of people that go in and out of the city. There are two tunnels, two train tunnels, right? Uh, the one that goes in and one that goes out for the entire Northeast corridor. That is from Washington, D.C., all the way up to New York. Every train that comes through there has to go through those two tunnels. It is insane that that is the case. Like, that is crazy because that is a lot of people and a lot of trains. But um, my point is that, like, it's not like it's some, like, lovely experience commuting. It is a stressful, stressful experience, and you're swearing, and it's, and you get there, and now you have to do a whole day of work and perhaps deal with the various fiefdoms and all the, ra- you know, all that nonsense. And then you come up, and, like, even if you have a great job, and I'm lucky you have a really great job. I think, Drew, you have a great job, too. You like yeah. your job, you know. Uh, but still, that commuting, like you say, it takes it out of you. It really does. You can be getting out of work on a Friday feeling good. You're like, yeah, man, fucking Friday. We had to hit the weekend. And then you get in that commute and you're just like, what happened to my enthusiasm? What happened to everything? I want to die. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And you come home like a worn out dish rag. Exactly. Exactly. Um, Well, let's move on, I guess, to uh, speaking of corporate power um, and corporations in general. And I want to talk now about the uh, vaccine mandates. So let's turn our attention to this. It's been crazing. um, I'm sorry, it's been causing a great deal of alarm among America's right wingers. But then again, everything causes a great deal of alarm by America's right wingers. Anything that's not like fascism is like, oh, my God, what's going on? Or church. Um, or church, or church, <laughs> right? Yeah. Church, or or controlling women in any possible way. Um, so let's talk about vaccine mandates. Um, Axios, they like to say Axios. I heard because I, I was listening to this on Crooked oh, Media really? once. Yeah, it's not like, Axios, huh? Yeah, the, the, yeah. <laughs> I thought it was Axios. Also, I mean, that's what it looks like. But then apparently, the guy who runs Axios, he came on like way back in the day. He came on Crooked Media and he was like, he said, "Nope, we say it like Axios." I was like, oh. "Okay." That is not intuitive, but all is right. Is there a reference for that? I mean, is there a, did he say a reason? I think there was something having to do with like Greek something, like oh, some okay. sort of reference to like classic ref, classic reference like that. But I don't know. Um, to me, it's just confusing. And I'm, I'll, and I'm just going to say Axios. Fuck them. Axios. <laughs> all right. Fight the power, Christoph. <laughs> Fight the power. <laughs> all right. Um, Axios reports. <laughs> State governments, private businesses, and even part of the federal government are suddenly embracing mandatory coronavirus vaccines for their employees. This is significant because the vaccine mandates have been relatively uncommon in the United States. But with vaccine rates stagnating and the Delta variant driving yet another wave of cases, there's been a new groundswell of support for such requirements. Monday, this is this past Monday, was a turning point because the VA became the first federal agency to require its employees to be vaccinated. More than 50 medical groups, including the American Medical Association and the American Nurse Association, call for mandatory vaccinations of all healthcare workers. California announced that state employees and healthcare workers much, must show proof of vaccination or get tested regularly. New York City brought all municipal workers, including teachers and significantly police officers, because uh, the, the vaccine rates are low among police officers, um, under a vaccine requirement that had previously only applied to health workers. Even the San Francisco Bar Owner Alliance hopped on board, announcing that the 500 San Francisco bars it represents will require indoor customers to show proof of vaccination or a negative test. 
Now, vaccine mandates have been unpopular in part because they inevitably create a backlash, but the vaccination efforts seem to have run out of carrots to incentivize more people to get the shot. And with rates remaining as low as they are in light of a worsening pandemic situation, resorting to sticks has clearly become a more attractive option, end quote. Drew, why are vaccine mandates so viscerally unpopular worldwide, and especially in the United States? Well, I don't think that the United States has a monopoly on it, but I do think we're really good at it, unfortunately. <laughs> um, and, and I trace it back to you know, these ideas of rugged individualism and what I call the freedom complex, mm-hmm. where it's this you're not the boss of me attitude about anything, right? But I always say that freedom needs context to be a virtue, right? Like not all freedom, quote unquote, is good. Um, What about the freedom to pour toxic sludge into the waterway? What about the freedom to spread a deadly virus unchecked without, you know, a a vaccination? You know, there's a ripple effect with a lot of these um, courses of action. And I think it goes back to the American Revolution, really, just giving the Brits the finger. And I think that, you know, giving authority figures the finger is a, a... not specifically American trait, but a popular one. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's right. You know? Um, And we now know that vaccines alone aren't enough uh, to fight this, right? Because the the, the variant is infecting people who are vaccinated. So we need to just keep up all of these practices. And, you know, I, I wear glasses, so I get not like not not liking to wear a mask like my glasses fog up you know mm-hmm. it's not comfortable it's not great it's just kind of one of those it is what it is things and it's the same with the vaccine it doesn't work unless we all do it like i am personally much more in favor of these mandates than the average american um just before uh taping i saw that uh disneyland and walmart are both now requiring mandates for their employees or vaccines for their employees. That's just a just breaking story just, just right before we came on here. Um, and I'm all for it. I say make it so these people can't get a job, can't get on a plane, can't get a driver's license, can't get a fucking library card. <laughs> That's a fucking a vaccination. That, that is my feeling about it. I am tired of this bullshit. 100% dude, 100%. I I am pissed and I'm telling you like my I I I'm going to take off my liberal hat for a minute and say <laughs> fuck these anti-vaxxers. Like fuck them. They are not fit to be citizens, okay? Mm-hmm. They are not part of the social contract. And and they are they are killing people. And and the fact of the matter is is that we should have had a government mandate from the minute that Pfizer and Moderna and and J&J, AstraZeneca, I don't fucking care, Sinovax, like whatever, get a fucking jab, get it now. Like every every day that anybody waited beyond when it was available to them um, is a crime. I mean, they're committing a crime against their fellow citizens, against humanity. And, you know, it's really, really telling when our government is so dysfunctional that our corporations are actually more liberal and more responsible 
than our government. Okay. It's, it's fucking insane. Now I was glad, uh, to see the military do it, of course, because that's something that Joe Biden can do with his signature. He's the commander in fucking chief. He can do that with a signature and he can require every government employee. I love the fact that Biden's taken charge. Like when he first got up there, um, a day or two after his inauguration, he gave this uh, Oval Office speech to all the federal government employees. And he he said a couple of things that I thought were just great. He was like, you know, if you if you're a problem in your office, if you mistreat anybody, if you speak badly to anybody, if you demean anyone, I'm going to fire your ass. Not exactly <laughs> the, in those words, but he yeah, basically yeah, yeah, said yeah. that and he put everybody on notice. And I think that is what a leader is supposed to do mm. is to put people on notice. And you know, I, I don't know what the legalities are. If, if he could sign an executive order and, and have a universal vaccine mandate for all Americans, I don't know if that would be legal. Christoph, maybe you want to weigh in on that. But um, that's what was called for. And, and every hesitation, I would be merciless. I'm talking about merciless. And I am so goddamn tired of these anti-vaxxers. They, they claiming that, oh, you're invading my body. You're, you're raping me and all this kind of stuff. That is such horseshit. It's such snowflake horseshit. Okay. And again, it's mostly men who, you know, trivialize rape to begin with. Now you <laughs> exactly. care. Right. Now right. you care when it happened to you. It's like I was saying uh, uh, last week about it. You know, when, when, when a guy who was a radio host got COVID and now he's changing his tune and telling people to get vaccinated, that you, you don't get any credit for that. Oh, fuck no. you. It's, you know? it's always rich when you hear a right winger say, my body, my choice. Yeah. <laughs> like, are you fucking kidding me? Right. That is an astonishing thing. Right. Oh, this is a, 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 I saw a meme that's along these same on along these same lines, which is like, right. Uh, so my kid having to wear a bulletproof backpack to school and uh, and do drills. That's the price of freedom. Right. Mm -hmm. That's the price of freedom. But a jab in the arm oh my god oh my god what could great so and it's like it is an astonishing thing to to claim this sort of affinity for for freedom um and uh, and 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 in this absolute sense right this sort of deontological sense right this idea that like the absolute value of freedom matters like you were talking about this uh, uh, earlier uh, drew that that matters more than the actual outcomes, right? People actually dying. Like my concept, and, and this again goes back to what we were talking about earlier on earlier in the show, this entitlement, right? This sense of I get to do whatever I want to do, whenever I want to do it, and no one gets to comment. Um yeah. I in terms of the 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 the, the uh, mandate uh is that we, we we mandate things on on certain levels, right? We we mandate uh, to pay for kids to go to, to school, public school, right? They have to get certain vac vaccinations for most of the part. I think that that's going to be on a state level basis, though. So I don't I I, I find like I, I I'm not claiming to have this figured out. I would have to think about it and look at it. But my guess is that Biden couldn't do that because of um, state police powers, quote unquote, are reserved right. explicitly for the states. So that's why. That's the problem with the with 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 voting. This is the problem with police forces, especially. Right. That's why some police forces are like really top notch, professional, lot great. Then you have some ones that are just like a bunch of guys with guns and a badge. Right. Like there's yeah. a wide range for that for that very reason, and uh, it's kind of scary. It's one more reason why for me to hate the Constitution. Okay, federalism. I just <laughs> I don't agree with it. I don't agree with it. I mean, if you're if you have a country that requires leadership. Why the fuck do you have 50 different jurisdictions? I know. 
right now. Are, are you trying to suggest that a bunch of slave owning tax dodgers didn't come up with the most perfect <laughs> government in the universe, Sean? Yeah. What? What? <laughs> what is this madness? <laughs> It's unbelievable how much people will defend that constitution. And I, we had one today who, because of my article, came on and went, you know, well, obviously you don't understand the, the rationale behind the constitution. It was to balance federal and state power. It's like, yeah, that's the fucking problem. And you don't believe in democracy. That's a really, really good point. And I'm reminded here of, so everyone out there, we are, Sean and I are writing um, an intro to uh, to a book, Cora Annika Thiel, one of our guests, our friend, uh, she is reissuing her memoir and we were invited by her and we're very grateful to be able to have that opportunity to write an intro. And one of the themes that, we've, that we kept hitting on in that intro um, is the, is the, unearned unjust hierarchy that is built into this country when we saw when people walk around saying this country is racist that's what they mean right is that the the, the from the very very beginning like right the, the the declaration of independence calls native people savages right like in the very first ever document the mm-hmm. very first ever document was a racist document right so um i get why people bristle when people call america racist but let's be honest right let's be honest and so um what i what i want to keep sort of talking about here though is this um uh, this structure that is that we are sort of we are butting up against and right and and this and people's defense of this it reminds me of religious people, right? Because, you know, religious people, they look at the Bible and like, like I, I remember because I used to be a religious person. So it's like, you think back and think there used to be magic for some reason, right? Mm-hmm. Like the same rules that apply today didn't apply back then, right? And that's what I think like people think about the founding fathers as if they're these like magical characters, right? Like, and, and that's how we were brought up to think about them, right? Like as if they're sort of these sort of mystical characters and they're, they weren't, they were brilliant. <laughs> especially in so many ways. But they were also, by the way, had Thomas Jefferson. We talked about this yesterday, we, the three of us, we talked about this uh, earlier this week. Thomas Jefferson was absolutely brilliant, but also he had a child slave that he raped in the basement regularly. Okay, <laughs> let's be honest, right? Let's be honest <laughs> yeah. about that. Like, that, right? Not, Those not two great. things are true. Not great. True. I, don't, I, don't, <laughs> I, I don't remember that part of Hamilton. Uh, <laughs> Well, yeah, and, and yeah. you also probably don't remember the part about Moses being one of the founding fathers, which was in Texas textbooks, for fuck's sake. That's just, I mean, yeah. this is what I mean, I'm talking see, about. I mean, what? Yeah, you, you, you what? see images of, like, you know, Jesus handing the Constitution to the to the founding fathers and stuff, these oil paintings and stuff in, in right-wing culture. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It really, really is, is ridiculous. Um, they can't even but, get their myths straight. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, and uh, right, uh, like human beings riding on on dinosaurs. That's another one of my favorite ones. Like, what? Look, what do you think happened? What do you think happened? You know, um, the Flintstones. So, apparently, apparently, <laughs> apparently. Um, so, so you know, and but getting back to the vaccine mandate specifically, one. So, because this is not something that President Biden can do with this with, with a with a. Uh, uh, like with his pen and an executive order or something like that. It's really important, right? That corporations are stepping up. I mean, like it is again, like the system, it sucks that corporations have this much power, mm-hmm. but they do. And so since they do, 
we ought to leverage that power. And so it is, I, I see this as a really positive step that, like you said earlier, uh, Sean, that in some ways, corporations have taken the lead in being progressive because they actually, to survive, they actually need to reflect their customers, right? The government doesn't have to do that anymore. Thanks to gerrymandering and small, and, you know, and in a world in which, uh, you know, minor with minority rule, you don't, you, they're not responsive to their voters, right? Like the, the GOP does not look like America at all. Right. Um, so anyway, um, I, I just wanted to hit on that. And, and in, in a similar vein, Sean, um, mm-hmm. do you think that it's fair so we've been critical here at the radical secular um, of corporate power, obviously. So um, how do you how would you respond, Sean, to someone who would point out that uh, potential private sector vaccine mandates would be better than the government? They would say, ah, see, the private sector is better at public health than the government. How do you respond to that? I would say that person is a fucking fascist. Because- <laughs> That's perfect. What is, what is the. What, what is the definition of fascism? It is the merger of corporation and state, right? right. And that is exactly what we don't want to have happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is not the role. Okay, let, let's take a step back, though, a bit sure. from, from the question and say, okay, why does anyone ever trust anyone? And the answer to that question is shared interests. Okay, and so at this point, there is more shared interest between uh, uh, corporations and consumers than there is at this moment between government and citizens. Mm. And that's the reality is that that our government has been so hijacked by the fascists, by the fa- let's I, let's not even make any bones about it, okay? The Republican Party, they're fascists and they're confederates and they have ruined our government to the point where we are falling behind other nations and we're in danger of of collapsing as a country. So this is the reality and here. And as a climate. And the climate, and the climate. Let's like, like not even talking about that, but as a, okay, Public health is the responsibility of government. It is in the Declaration of Independence. It is in the Constitution. Um, you know, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare. Okay, that includes, <laughs> it includes, you know, everything really. It includes everything up until basic income, healthcare. Uh, mm-hmm. But it, but it definitely includes when there is a an emergency, uh, a public health emergency, the ability to take unquestioned control of the situation. I'm talking about there should have been contact tracing from the very beginning, from the get-go, from from November or, or, or of 2019, January 2020, when we first had any inkling about this. I mean, the 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 apps should have been rolled out to our telephones for uh, you know near field contact sensing of anybody you know anybody who had a positive testing status. I mean, we could have done so much with this, and I just assumed naively last year that I mean, oh well, certainly within a few months we'll have those apps on our phones and we'll all be you know we'll all be be uh, you know checking in with our with our status and we all will want to be notified if we were exposed and these kind of things like that. And boy, was I wrong. I mean. These people are acting as if it's a home invasion. I mean, you had you had these right wing talk show hosts talking about, you know, the, the idea that there were goons coming to their doors to vaccinate <laughs> them. It's like, I, I, I don't. This is this is this is un, <laughs> an, this is un-American. This is this is. And, and here's the point. OK, these guys have such a warped concept of what implies heroism versus what implies mm. cowardice. Mm-hmm. OK, and this, there's all of these. Yahoo's who are like, oh, I take a bullet for my country. It's like, no, dipshit. You won't even take a vaccine for your country, <laughs> let alone a bullet, right? Yeah. You are they're they are so scared and so um 
They're, they're cowards. That, that's, that's the point. They have turned, they have made, uh, made cowardice into heroism and heroism into cowardice. It's, it's completely back ass words. And I, I have, I mean, I'm, I could just go on about this, but I won't because I let somebody else talk now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I agree with everything Sean was saying, um, you know, as far as, you know, the private sector versus government, I think we need both. You know, mm-hmm. I think we need to utilize every tool at our disposal to fight this virus. I don't think it's an either or thing or a matter of trying to score points in the scoreboard. There's going to be areas where the private sector needs to step up and there's areas where the government needs to step up. We all need to step up or else this is just going to go on forever. You know, we're just going to Delta, whatever the next mutation is of this damn thing, who knows what, you know, so we need to get our, our, our hands around this thing somehow. Yeah, and that's really scary, guys, because, you know, the Delta variant, right, this is just one variant, but it's already at this, we're already at a, at a mutations, a mutation stage where it, where the virus can be transmitted by people who are vaccinated, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you may not get symptoms, you might get mild symptoms, but you can pass it on. So how long is it before it mutates, right? How many more variants will it take? For it to mutate to a place where vaccines are only 75% effective, right? Or 80% or 65% effective, right? Like that is, that is, I think, kind of, I'm not a virologist, but I think that's kind of how viruses work. They mutate and they try Mm -hmm. to find ways to survive. So that is a really scary prospect. And it makes it so critical that we sort of, that we nip this in the bud now. And I, you know, like, I agree with both of you. I agree with you, Sean, right? That ideally we live in a system where the government, like more of a South Korea type environment where South Korea, they were just on this, right? Um, mm-hmm. And they were able to do the contract contact tracing. They had the they had systems, they had, you know, and they had, everyone had, had PPE. They had what they need. Um, ideally that's where we would be, something like that. But in the world that we live in now, which is where corporations have far, far too much power, like it is, you know, this is, I am really, really happy. I agree with you guys. I want, I think, I'm glad that you can force people without forcing people, right? Because you can say like, <laughs> look, you don't have to work, but you love capitalism, right? I mean, you love <laughs> capitalism. You you think you think work or die. Well, look, this is what happens. If you want to work, you get a vaccine. You were talking about earlier, Sean, free fucking market, bro, right? Yeah. You love the fucking free market, right? <laughs> hey, man, these private organizations are deciding on their own to require vaccine mandates. All of a sudden, you don't like the private sector, right? All of a sudden, you don't like markets? Come on, come on. So so, so I am very heartened to see this. I'm happy. I'm also happy, though, that the Biden administration you know, didn't wasn't heavy-handed about this, right? Like, like the right the the evidence is in front of everyone's faces right especially if you live in a red state right now you mm-hmm. know you people are going to hospitals people are dying da 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 like people you know are getting sick right so the evidence is in front of us i think that it's uh i'm glad that biden sort of showed some restraint and now he can really just be like look federal government everyone has to get fucking vaccinated or show you know and that and that is a lot of people that is a huge start and also federal contractors Right. Yeah. That's a lot of people. It's a lot. And I want to I want to say I agree with both you guys that we do need a, a, a government corporate partnership here. I, it, it, you know, when I say when I when I said fascist and when I'm talking about marriage of corporation and state, what I mean is that is the corporations were uh, in lieu of the state because the yes. state wasn't doing yeah. anything. And mm-hmm. and w- the way I would see it ideally working out is the government would 
design or, you know, contract out the design of this app or whatever it is that would be like a vaccine passport. And then corporations could utilize that. And there could be a central sure. database, right? And th these are the things, the idea of a vaccine passport and a central database drives right-wingers batshit. Oh my God, they lose it. So the, the, this is my this is the thing though is that what would be so wrong with having like a national records keeping system and so when you go to the door with your cell phone you're scanned in you know have, with your little government uh, QR code that says you got vaccinated simple easy peasy makes life better for everyone right oh you oh by the way these are the yeah. same people who were like oh you should have a you should have a uh, ID requirement for voting oh yeah right. <laughs> Right. The same people. These are the same people. Well, these are the same people. Right. That. Oh, these undocumented workers. Da, da, da. Like it's the, it's the you the should have complied crowd. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the you should have complied crowd. It is astonishing. <laughs> we, we talk about this bad faith all the time and we shouldn't. It's not surprising, but it still is like this has nothing to do with what's right, what's wrong, what's any kind of principle other than the desire to dominate. Like and just yeah. be able again that 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 that. I should be on top of the world and be able to do whatever I want. And if I'm not that, I'm going to throw a temper tantrum. I'm right. You're wrong. And it's like it comes it comes down to also when you're picking uh, it, it's this idea of getting rid of the neutral referee for facts. And mm -hmm. once you get rid of that neutral referee for facts, um, they will line up all their alternative facts over here and say, you have to look at these and they'll dismiss all of the actual facts over here. And it's just now, uh, now you're just going, I, uh, I'm right. You're wrong. And they're going, you're right. I'm wrong. You know, so it's exactly. like, or, or vice versa, you know? yeah. um, insane. It's it, and the double standards are across the board in every area you look at, whether it's cancel culture, whether it's the insurrection, whether it's vaccines, whether it's masks, double standards out the yin yang. Yeah. Right. And that that neutral referee thing is that's an important point. Right. Because that is the goal of government. Like that is the role of government like in life. Right. Is basically to be like the superstructure that everything else happens inside of. And right. The goal, if you are on the right, is to eliminate that. So basically mm -hmm. there is, like you say, no neutral referee, nobody who is who is who who can say you're right and you're wrong. And then you end up in this sort of situation like um, something out of um, the expanse, right, where corporations are so powerful, right, that they are. Uh, Sure, the 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 UNN, the, I'm sorry, the the United Nations stuff like that is 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 the government, and and Christian in the earlier uh, seasons sort of draws that line very very sharply. But it, but it but it's it's almost dystopic in its that show in its uh, discussion of the role of corporations, where you can tell out there in space in the out there in space, like everyone identifies with the company they work for, right. You know, that's how they identify. Sure, well, they're also Earthers and Martians and stuff like that. But like, but really it's that it's that that jumper that they wear, Tycho or whatever the hell it mm -hmm. says on their thing, right? Like that's really what, what what it is. And that is a terrifying that's that fascism you're talking about, I think. Yeah, well, and it's also governments. I, I mean, the, the the UNN was weak. I mean, the Martian government was in a lot of ways, uh, you know, really equivalent or maybe even stronger than Earth's government. It's just. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, you know, and so that, that, I, that show is such a great example of how our politics could evolve if we don't, um, strengthen government. Definitely. Definitely. Drew, did you want to add something? Uh, I mean, not really that, that show was great. It's been a little while since I've watched it. I'll have to go back and revisit it. Yeah. Oh, you I, should. I, I'm working through it now. And I, 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 
it's one of those shows that I really don't want to be doing anything else when I'm watching it because it's just so engaging and, and it's so visually like powerful the way that show is. And, uh, and also the quick little, like their, their quick little go back and forth is, is very witty sometimes. So you want to make sure you catch it all. But, um, but yeah, it really, really is excellent. Uh, well, maybe we'll have to uh, pick out some themes there at some point to do to do a show on as well. Well, look, guys, we are pretty much at the end of our time, believe it or not. Uh, do either of you have any final thoughts? Anything you want to add? Get vaccinated. <laughs> Please, everybody go get vaccinated. Um, yeah, I have, I have one thing I, I did want to bring up. I got sure. this... Uh, this record in the mail the other day. This is Propagandi's Less Talk, More Rock album. Nice. Oh. In the frame here. Now, this is a really great record. This album changed my life. Now, you can see on the cover there, it's a, uh, for the audio listeners, the, uh, the cover art is a steer uh, trampling the farmer, <laughs> presumably, <laughs> that is his rancher. And the text across the border says, animal friendly, anti fascist, gay positive, pro feminist. Yeah, this, this is the 25th anniversary pressing of this album. It was hugely influential to my life and the way I see the world. And there is one line in a so song on that record. The song is called The Only Good Fascist is a Very Dead Fascist. <laughs> and, 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 and there's a section in the song where he says, what exactly are the great historical accomplishments of your race that make you proud to be white? Capitalism, slavery, genocide, sitcoms. This is your fucking white history, my friend. So why not start making history worth being proud of and start fighting the real fucking enemy? Wow. That's powerful. A fucking yeah. men. Yeah. A so that, that, that came men. in the mail the other day. And, you know, I was thinking about the themes of the show and it's the 20th, 5th anniversary of, of that album. Propagandi's Less Talk, More Rock. Uh, people should check it out. It's awesome. Yeah. Outstanding. Propagandi is fucking awesome. We're going to do some music shows too in the future. Um, all right, guys, it's been a really great conversation. We're at the end of our time. And uh, everyone out there, please remember that if you like our show, make sure to subscribe, leave a review, check out our Patreon, and tell your friends to listen. New episodes post Mondays at noon Eastern on YouTube and all the major podcast channels. We also publish new articles weekly in our journal at theradicalsecular.com. I'm Christoph Defoe. Thank you for being here. And remember that wherever you are, you can be radically secular. Radical Secular Podcast is written and produced by Christoph Defoe, Sean Prophet, and Joe Okipinti. Logo and main title designed by Tim Stetner. Post-production and original theme music by Sean Prophet. Special thanks to our support team, Lindsay Brightman, Jillian Sky Jacobs, and Lori Field Okipinti. Mm -hmm.